In this episode of Flying Smarter, I'm looking at why flights often don't divert to the nearest airport. Then, for the main segment, I'll be looking at the story of the infamous Boeing 737 MAX. Welcome to episode 38 of Flying Smarter, the podcast that explores the fascinating world of air travel to help you become a smarter and savvier traveler. Let's get started. Why don't flights divert to the nearest airport? On November 8th of 2022, American Airlines Flight 169 took off from Los Angeles International Airport, bound for Tokyo's Haneda Airport. About four and a half hours into the flight, the plane was over Alaska when a passenger on board had some sort of medical emergency that required the plane to land. Rather than diverting to nearby Anchorage, the plane turned around and flew three hours to Seattle. While this may seem strange or irrational at first glance, planes often don't divert to the nearest airport. The decision about where to divert is a complicated one and is based on a number of factors. Of course, the most serious emergencies usually lead to the flight landing as soon as possible at the nearest possible airport. Most of the time though, there are many other things that are considered. There are some physical and technical limitations when it comes to the diversion decision. A diversion airport needs to be able to physically handle the arriving aircraft in terms of weather, runway length, and other airport infrastructure. Aircraft also have maximum landing weights that may require a plane to burn or jettison fuel to lower the weight of the plane before landing. If an aircraft is going to be grounded due to a technical issue, airlines need to consider how easy it would be to get a replacement plane to the airport, or they might consider landing at a hub which would make the task of finding a replacement aircraft much easier. Then, there are logistics and operational considerations. If the aircraft has a technical issue, the flight will want to divert to an airport where the plane can be fixed as easily as possible. This might involve where the airline has maintenance staff or parts, or one where the airline can easily get them to. In terms of passengers, it would be much better to divert to an airport where the airline already has staff who can help passengers with accommodations and other arrangements. Landing in a foreign country where passengers did not expect to arrive in can also lead to challenges with immigration if passengers have to leave the airport. Pilots and flight attendants also have limitations on how many hours they're allowed to work for obvious safety reasons, and diversions can cause them to reach these limits, thereby requiring a new flight crew. In the case of a medical emergency, how far the plane can afford to fly can depend on the severity of the situation. Another important consideration is access to medical facilities on the ground. Airline pilot Greg Crino talks more about medical diversions and emergencies in episode 34, so check that out if you haven't done so already. The decision usually isn't made by pilots alone. They'll generally consult with the airline's operational team on the ground who will help them make the decision by conducting performance calculations and reviewing operational considerations like the ones I discussed. It's for all these reasons that the most obvious diversion airport may not be the best one. In the, initial exam- In the initial example I gave, why did the flight turn around to fly three hours to Seattle rather than land in nearby Anchorage? We can't say for sure, but perhaps Seattle was the closest airport with a suitable medical facility. Or, perhaps the crew was going to reach their work hours limit and it would be faster to get a replacement crew in Seattle than in Anchorage. In any case, keep in mind that the goal isn't always to get the plane on the ground as soon as possible. 
It's a delicate balancing act of assessing the emergency and the need for diversion, and the subsequent operational and service challenges for the aircraft, crew, and passengers. Did you know that there are some airline seats out there with a massage feature? Some first and business class seats out there have built-in massage functions. Certain airlines including Air Canada, Etihad Airways, and Emirates have massage functions on some of their seats. These systems vary by airline, but they generally allow you to select the type of massage, location, and intensity, allowing for a unique experience in the sky. The Boeing 737 MAX is a plane that became a household name for all the wrong reasons. Even though it has largely operated without incident since its re-entry to service, its troubled past still makes some travelers nervous when they hear the name. After two deadly accidents in the aircraft's first few years of service that led to serious revelations about the workings of Boeing and the Federal Aviation Administration, and then a gradual return to service, Boeing 737 MAXs are flying all over the world today. In this main segment, I want to delve into the story of the Boeing 737 MAX, covering what happened, what has changed since, and what it means for you as a traveler. Let's start with what the Boeing 737 MAX is. The MAX is the latest generation of Boeing's 737 family. The 737 is Boeing's most successful commercial aircraft and holds the world record for the most delivered commercial plane. It fits a segment of the market with high demand. Short and medium haul flights with around 100 to 200 passengers on board. The first generation of the Boeing 737 was called the 737 Original and consisted of the Boeing 737-100 and 200. The 737 first entered service with Lufthansa in February of 1968, setting off decades of commercial success for the aircraft family. Then came the Boeing 737 Classic, consisting of the 300, 400, and 500 variants, and these were produced from 1984 to 2000. Then came the Boeing 737 Next Generation, or 737NG, which is a staple of the air travel industry today, and there's a high likelihood that you've been on one. Seating capacity on these aircraft range from around 108 for the 737-600 up to around 175 for the Boeing 737-900. Over 7,000 of these were produced between 1996 and 2019, and a large majority of them are still in service today, meaning that somewhere in the range of 20% of commercial aircraft today are Boeing 737-NGs. All three major U.S. carriers have large 737-NG fleets, as do airlines like Southwest Airlines, Alaska Airlines, WestJet, and Ryanair. The Boeing 737 Next Generation was also developed into the military P-8 Poseidon aircraft and the Boeing Business Jet Private Corporate Jet variant. The Boeing 737-800 is the most widely used commercial aircraft out there, with over 5,000 produced over the years. Now, The MAX comes next in the 737's history, but I have to pause for a moment to talk about the 737's main competitor, the Airbus A320 family. The Airbus A320 first flew in 1987 and was launched to compete in the narrowbody market with the Boeing 737 and the McDonnell Douglas DC-9, which is no longer in production and in limited service these days. There are four main variants of the A320. 
the relatively small Airbus A318, which never really saw many orders, and then there's the Airbus A319, A320, and A321, which are increasingly larger. The Airbus A320 family overtook the Boeing 737 to become the highest selling commercial airliner in 2019. As such, there's a pretty good chance that you've flown on an Airbus A320 family aircraft as well. Given its more recent history, the Airbus A320 family only saw one generation for the first few decades. In 2010 though, Airbus launched the A320neo family, with Neo standing for New Engine Option. The first Airbus A320neo took flight in 2014. The A320neo family was a big deal. Airbus offered a re-engined version of the A320 with two engine options, providing approximately 15% less fuel burn than the older variant, now known as the A320CEO, or current engine option. Now considering that fuel is one of the largest expenses for an airline, a 15% fuel burn reduction is quite significant. Following Airbus's announcement of the A320neo in December of 2010, Boeing launched its own re-engine of the 737 less than a year later. And so, the Boeing 737 MAX was born. Like the Airbus A320neo, fuel consumption for the Boeing 737 MAX was going to be roughly 15% lower than the previous iteration, the Boeing 737 Next Generation. The 737 MAX first took flight on January 29, 2016, and it gained certification from the Federal Aviation Administration and its European counterpart, the European Union Aviation Safety Agency, in March of 2017. Two months later in May, the first 737 MAX was delivered to Melindo Air, a Malaysian subsidiary of Indonesian airline Lion Air. Both the 737 MAX and A320neo were selling like hotcakes, each receiving thousands of orders even before their entry into service. The newfound efficiencies from the new engines and other design features on the MAX, such as the new split wingtip, were embraced by airlines and the 737 continued to receive healthy orders. As of the time of publication of this episode in June of 2013, there are two main 737 MAX variants currently in service, the 737 MAX 8 and the MAX 9, with the MAX 7 and MAX 10 still pending certification. Unfortunately, the Boeing 737 MAX isn't necessarily known among the general public for its fuel efficiency. Instead, it often evokes memories of two tragic accidents and a subsequent grounding. On June 30th, 2018, a brand new Boeing 737 MAX 8 with a serial number of 43000 and a line number of 7058 took its first flight after leaving Boeing's Renton factory in Washington state. Two weeks later, it was shuttled from King County International Airport near Seattle, also known as Boeing Field, to Honolulu, then to Guam, and then to Jakarta Sukarno Hatta International Airport, where it entered service with Indonesian low cost carrier Lion Air. The plane was given the registration PKLQP. A few months later, on October 29, 2018, the aircraft was operating as Lion Air Flight 610, a scheduled domestic flight departing from Jakarta. It was a clear day with light winds and good visibility. There were 181 passengers, 6 flight attendants, and 2 pilots on board. The plane took off at 6.20am and began its climb. 13 minutes later, 
air traffic control lost communication with the aircraft. It had crashed into the sea. Lion Air 610 turned out to be the deadliest accident in the Boeing 737's history. The culprit behind the crash was something called MCAS, or the Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System. The 737 series had traditionally been built quite close to the ground, allowing for early generations to use smaller engines and shorter boarding stairs in the earlier years. Over the years, there were updates and adjustments made to the aircraft's design as technology improved, but the plane was still largely the same. The Boeing 737 MAX's more fuel-efficient engines were larger and had to be mounted further up and further forward on the wing to get more ground clearance. Now a side effect of this change is that it changed the way that the plane flew. More specifically, in some situations, it caused the plane to lift the nose to pitch up. Rather than going through the time-consuming and costly process of making major structural changes, Boeing added MCAS, a flight-stabilizing feature that would make the 737 MAX mimic the way the 737 Next Generation flew. More specifically, the MCAS software would push the nose of the aircraft back down in cases where the MAX had a tendency to pitch up. It was very important to Boeing that the MAX be certified as another Boeing 737 version due to the reduced cost of pilot training for its customers. A major appeal of the 737 MAX for airlines was the fact that pilots would not need to undergo simulator training if they were already rated on the 737NG, as it was deemed that the aircraft were similar enough. Simulator training is very expensive. In addition to the cost of the simulator and its operation, there are costs associated with the trainers, hotels and travel costs for trainees, and more. Depending on the sales contract, simulator training costs can be covered by either the airline or the manufacturer, but in any case, it would be favorable for Boeing if existing 737 pilots did not have to undergo simulator training before flying the 737 MAX. Now, back to MCAS. MCAS was in place to help the 737 MAX fly more like the previous 737NG. Boeing requested the removal of a description of MCAS from the aircraft manual, and this request was approved by the FAA. Pilots were therefore unaware of the MCAS software. Despite this, Boeing's then-CEO, Dennis Muhlenberg, went on Fox Business shortly after the Lion Air crash and said that the procedures for handling the control issue were an existing procedure and part of the training manual. In fact, MCAS was not explained in the aircraft manual and was only mentioned in the glossary. Only after the Lion Air crash did Boeing release a bulletin describing the MCAS system. The bulletin didn't even include the MCAS name, which was only revealed by Boeing a few days later. The bulletin did, however, describe the system and advise that it can pitch the nose down in increments of up to 10 seconds if it receives faulty data from the angle of attack sensor. The bulletin directed pilots to existing procedures to rectify the issue. A few weeks after the Lion Air crash, on November 15, 2018, Ethiopian Airlines received a brand new Boeing 737 MAX 8, registered as ETAVJ. On March 10, 2019, the aircraft was operating Flight 302, a scheduled international passenger flight from Addis Ababa in Ethiopia to Nairobi, Kenya, with 149 passengers, 6 flight attendants, and 2 pilots on board. The flight took off at 8.38 local time. Two minutes into the flight, the MCAS system activated, pushing the plane into a dive. 
Over the next four minutes, the pilots appeared to have generally followed the emergency procedure set out by Boeing in an attempt to recover the aircraft, but the MCAS activated two more times. The aircraft ended up plunging into a farm field, killing all those on board. The Ethiopian Airlines crash led to authorities around the world grounding the 737 MAX. China was the first to implement a flight plan the day after the crash on March 11, 2019. The European Union, Australia, India, and others followed on the next day. The USFAA initially affirmed the continued airworthiness of the aircraft, indicating that it believed that the MAX was safe to operate. However, the FAA reversed course a few days later on March 13th, after investigators found that the MCAS may have been a factor in the second crash as well. These government directives marked the start of a long-term, worldwide grounding for the aircraft that would last over a year. Initial reports indicated that the Ethiopian Airlines pilots had lost control of the aircraft even though they had followed Boeing's procedures. Investigators eventually realized that the MCAS played a key role in both crashes. Both reports found that incorrect data from a single angle of attack sensor led to repetitive MCAS activations that pushed the aircraft noses down. It was also revealed that the sensor inputs for MCAS had been reduced from one from 2 to 1 during the design process, meaning that the MCAS was relying on input from a single sensor. What transpired in the following months did not look good for Boeing and the Federal Aviation Administration. As Boeing worked on fixes and recertification for the Boeing 737 MAX, a series of incriminating revelations began to emerge. Flight tests for the FAA showed that a data processing issue prevented pilots from effectively performing Boeing's procedures for MCAS errors. The U.S. Department of Justice began a criminal probe into Boeing's certification of the 737 MAX. Internal messages showed that a former senior Boeing test pilot called the MCAS quote-unquote egregious and quote-unquote running rampant during simulator tests in 2016, and that he said that he voiced the concerns and unknowingly lied to regulators. In December of 2019, Boeing CEO Dennis Muhlenberg was replaced by David Calhoun. In January of 2020, Boeing released hundreds of internal messages, many of which showed internal criticism about the aircraft's development. Perhaps most famously, one employee said that, quote, This is an airplane designed by clowns who are in turn supervised by monkeys, in reference to the Boeing 737 MAX. Other messages showed employees talking about software and simulator issues, hiding these problems from the FAA, and pressure to limit training and especially simulator training. For example, Boeing had promised Southwest a discount of $1 million per 737 MAX if simulator training was going to be required by regulators. Southwest has ordered over 300 Boeing 737 MAXs, meaning that this would have been costly. Boeing has also now testified that they realized that the MCAS software was a factor within hours of the first crash, but they publicly blamed the pilots. It has also been revealed that after the first crash, there was a meeting between Boeing executives and American Airlines pilots, with the American pilots saying that they couldn't handle or diagnose the issues that led to the crash, with one pilot even asking Boeing to ground the plane. There was also bad news for the FAA. A 2020 report from the House Committee on Transport and Infrastructure pointed to grossly insufficient oversight at the FAA. 
it found that the FAA had acted more as a partner or agent of Boeing rather than as a regulator, delegating some oversight functions to Boeing and thereby creating inherent conflicts of interest. For example, it was revealed that in 2012, a Boeing test pilot took more than 10 seconds to reverse an MCAS activation, which he subsequently described as catastrophic. The incident was cited several times in an internal Boeing document, but there was no evidence that any of the FAA representatives that knew about it passed it on to the agency. It was also revealed that in December of 2019, after the Lion Air crash, an internal review predicted potentially 15 more fatal crashes resulting in over 2,900 deaths over the lifespan of the 737 MAX if the MCAS issue was not fixed. Despite this finding, the FAA allowed the 737 MAX to stay airborne for months until the Ethiopian Airlines crash. In January of 2020, Boeing halted production of the 737 MAX as planes began piling up at Boeing's facilities and adjacent parking lots. The same month, Boeing reversed course and recommended simulator training for Boeing 737 MAX pilots. That summer, production of the MAX resumed and the FAA began conducting test flights. In November of 2020, the FAA declared the aircraft safe to fly. The approval was subject to a number of changes, including training requirements and mandatory updates to each individual plane. On December 9th, Brazilian low-cost carrier Gol became the first airline to start flying the aircraft again, and later that month, American Airlines became the first US airline to do so. This time though, regulators around the world did not simply follow in the footsteps of the FAA. Many had announced that they would be conducting their own comprehensive reviews of the MAX. Transport Canada cleared the MAX to resume service in Canada in January of 2021, and the European Union Aviation Safety Agency did the same for Europe that month as well. Australia cleared the aircraft in February, India lifted its flight ban in August, and China cleared the aircraft in December, although flights in China didn't actually resume until 2023. In January of 2021, Boeing reached a settlement with the U.S. Department of Justice to resolve its outstanding criminal investigation. Boeing agreed to pay over $2.5 billion, but only $243.6 million of that was a criminal monetary penalty. Compensation payments to MAX airline customers consisted of $1.77 billion, and $500 million went to the families of crash victims and their beneficiaries. Since the two crashes, Congress has passed an aviation reform bill. For example, the FAA has regained some powers that it lost in previous periods of deregulation, and any compensation based on meeting manufacturer schedules are now banned. Publicly, there's been a larger emphasis on safety at Boeing, but whether or not that changes things internally or with management remains to be seen. Today, over 1,000 Boeing 737 MAXs have been delivered, consisting of Boeing 737 MAX 8s and MAX 9s. The MAX 7 and MAX 10 are still pending certification. Boeing 737 MAXs conduct thousands of flights around the world each day, and the aircraft has not had any serious incidents since its re-entry into service. For a while, some airlines tried to conceal the MAX name to passengers, or even allowed passengers to change their flight if they were on a MAX. These efforts have largely faded away as the MAX crashes and grounding become a more and more distant memory for many people. If you're nervous about flying on the 737 MAX as a passenger, there quite frankly isn't much you can do except for trying to avoid flights on the aircraft. That being said, 
Although Boeing lost a ton of MAX orders and suffered a great financial loss as a result of the groundings, the MAX remains popular among customers and the number of these jets in the sky will only continue to grow in the coming years. The current backlog of orders consists of thousands of 737 MAXs, and quite frankly, there might not be much reason to worry. The groundings brought an intense level of scrutiny to the Boeing 737 MAX, as regulators knew that they could not get it wrong. Since its re-entry to service, it appears that it has proven to be a safe aircraft. Airlines in the United States and beyond operate hundreds of these aircraft daily and will continue to do so for years to come. That brings us to the end of episode 38 of Flying Smarter. Be sure to subscribe to Flying Smarter wherever you get your podcasts so that you can get new episodes right when they come out. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.